Davis, Aisha Morrison, Kelsey Charles, and Jane Slater. All right. Well, I said I didn't care much for moral victories last week, but this one mattered for so many reasons. We had unsung heroes, a true team effort, and improvement all around. And we even got a Mike McCarthy who seemingly finally gets what it means to be a part of the Dallas Cowboys. This soundbite had me rolling today. You know, uh, I, I got to really start working on my, my drama. Because uh, uh, yeah, because there's times where I just don't feel like I fit in around here. You know, I, I just, uh, yeah, I guess I did. I'd be li- I guess so. I'm just going to lie to everybody. Yeah, I took a moment. You know, I mean, no, I, I went in there and got my press conference done as fast as I could. You know, I, I got a shire and my, my wife's out of time, so I got home to, to babysit the girls. So I had a big night. Mike McCarthy commenting on what it was like to take in that win with a backup quarterback when so few of us truly believe they pulled it off. Last week, I joked that it would be a very Dallas Cowboy thing for them to do and go out and get the win. And I've got Christy Scales here. Kelsey Charles is working on one of her 3,000 jobs on the road. <laughs> so I told her to take a knee. She'll be hosting tomorrow while I take a knee tomorrow. But Christy, I love having you here because... You are the eyes and the ears on the sidelines, and I've always looked up to you since coming on this beat because of your knowledge of this team, your ability to assess the talent of this group, and you do stay away from the drama. You've been here long enough. It sort of rolls off your back. Uh, But what was it like on the sidelines yesterday? Well, for the majority of the game, it's the same as it always is, and it's like a business-like approach. And I know that, that last week when guys like Zeke and Coach McCarthy and the others are saying, we're not pressing the panic button, it's really true. Now, that's not drama, and that's not fun for podcasts and media and the like, for talk shows. But it's really true because the key for an NFL season is to stay consistent and stay steady. Again, it's not a lot of fun, but it it has to be that way. And you guys probably know the old adage of the 24-hour rule. Whether you win or you lose, it's over by Monday afternoon, Monday evening. They come in on Monday, whether it's a win or a loss, but especially after a loss. You look at the film and make sure you clean it up and do the mistakes. But I will say that that at the very end, when Brett Maher kicked that 50-yard field goal, then it was party on. That was that, and, and that that's always very satisfying, especially for a guy that's as well liked as Brett Maher and has such a um, a great backstory. All that he's been through to you know, thirty two years old and yet a four year NFL pro. He's been on ten different NFL teams and four Canadian league teams. And personally, he's just such a great guy. So, uh, and the ball. I don't know if you guys were following the flight of the ball, but it barely it barely got in that right upright. But you know what? Yeah. The old baseball adages, they all look like line drives in the box score. It doesn't matter if it makes it by three feet or is straight down the middle. It still counts for three it. points. And that's essentially what this win is, right? Because it came down to that final drive. I want to talk about Brett Maher a little bit more on the show. But for me, guys, I want to ask what you thought was the most important play of the game. For me... It was that opening drive. They had 12 plays, 75 yards, five first downs. Six of the 12 plays were runs. And it was that fourth and two call from Mike McCarthy after the incomplete pass. And I had sort of joked with Cooper Rush about uh, this one after uh, in the post. And he said, essentially, I'm glad we went for it, especially after that incomplete pass. And so 
I want to get your thoughts on that opening drive after they only managed to get as close, what, 31 yards out in the red zone the first week. Christy, when they went fourth and two and decided to go for it, what did you see from the bench and the sidelines? Well, I, I I bet Aisha and Jess were thinking the same thing that I was, that they were probably just going to try and draw the defense off sides. Yeah. But then when Cooper Rush lined up in the shotgun, instead of being under center and, you know, going through all the, you know, barking and, you know, doing the shoulders and trying to, to draw them off sides, when he got in the, the shotgun, I'm like, oh, they are really, yeah. they are really going to run this play. I don't know if y'all had similar thoughts. Uh, well, it's interesting because I'm, Get your mic on here. Oh, tater tots. We're having some technical difficulties. Um, While she figures out the mic, we'll get it over to Jeff. You know, what I will say, Christy, is that I was surprised, but it was a nice surprise because I know it was something that built early confidence for the team, and I think that was very important and very key because without that early confidence, I don't know how the rest of that drive would have looked, much less the rest of the game. And so I think really what it did is it showed the confidence that not only Kellen Moore, but Mike McCarthy had in Cooper Rush, and I really think that set the tone for the rest of the game. Aisha, what, what, now that we've She's got your back. mic back on. <laughs> there it is. Um, well, I thought that the offensive game plan was smart. Um, they wanted early, you could tell, to get guys involved. Uh, CeeDee Lamb with a couple of, you know, quick passes. Noah Brown getting the ball early. I felt like they got them in very simple situations to make the best out of, you know, what the defense was giving them in that moment. Also, it was balanced as well. Like, you saw them run the ball effectively to take the edges. And I felt like I just felt like this game plan was a lot more just balanced and well put together. When you watch the Tampa Bay game, like the first couple drives, you were just sitting there like, okay, okay, I mean, okay, we see you a little bit. Like, we see you a little bit, but what's the plan here? In this game, you could tell that they had a specific plan for Cooper Rush and for the other gentlemen to be successful around him. So, I don't know. I I, I thought that the play calling was smart at the beginning of that game. And bouncing off of that, I think the difference between and, and I said it at the end of the last episode we did last week is I want to see improvement. And I think the improvement was not only did we see the play calling that was tailored more towards uh, Cooper Rush, but then it continued through the first half. And so that gave me a little bit more hope that, hey, we can see play calling that is effective. We did see the the Ezekiel Elliott getting more than 10 10 passes or 10 touches than he did the previous week. We saw 15 touches. And so I think really what we saw from the offense the first quarter specifically is is something to be excited about, especially when you look at what you had to work with and what you're still lacking in the offense, right? Yeah. Like you still have Dak who's injured, obviously, but you also have Michael Gallup who's on the up and up to make his return. So you add those factors in, um, you know, one by one, and you can really see the potential in the offense. And I think that's something that was really lacking with the Tampa Bay yeah, game well, itself. And, and really the main thing yesterday was the offense didn't shoot itself in the foot. Because, yeah. because what happened was in, in Tampa, sure they wanted to, to run the ball more, but what happens is when you have these penalties and you get oh. in, you and I know Aisha <laughs> talked about that uh, before last week, but here's the thing. When you shoot yourself in the foot and you get into those longer downs and distance, the they say falling behind the chains, right, mm-hmm. and putting yourself in second and third and long, 
And uh, that did not happen yesterday. Now, there were a few defensive penalties. There were a couple of offensive penalties there in the second half that were very costly. But they were able to stick to that game plan because they were staying ahead of the chains and not not falling behind. So that was the real key was it was so efficient Mm -hmm. offensively in the first half. And then, like you were saying before, the coaches used the term complimentary football. Special teams really coming through Man. with the in there. That was so huge. And I don't just mean Maher's field goal, but the way they were able to flip the field, Brian Anger having that key punt, putting yeah. him down at the eight-yard line yeah, late in the fourth quarter. Play. That's yeah. my key play of the game. Yeah, it I was. Mean, I thought that the, you know, to go for it was a huge deal, but he really set up. He, I mean, that punt set up, you know, them having to come down the field, but also um, it put Kevontae Turpin in a good place, too. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like, I felt like the special teams play really is what took them to the next level, I guess you want to mm-hmm. say, this game. Mm-hmm. Um, also, too, Simi Fehoko a couple times, really close to blocking these punts. Like, Bones Fossil is bringing some heat uh, during these games. <laughs> like, crazy, right? As the Bones <laughs> Fossil is really trying to bring some heat in different places to give give guys other opportunities to make plays. So I like what I saw from special teams, too, to pick up the, the slack yeah. where we lack offensively this game yeah. as well. May, may I share a special teams nugget I with love you? It. And I it has love to it. do. Always. Okay, so when you talk about bringing the heat and almost blocking punts. Uh, I think that that when people, especially women, think of football, they think of these brutes and these 300-pound guys. And, and sure, it's a very physical thing, but, but even guys who've played the game, once you get to the NFL level, it is not just a game of, of seconds. It's a game of milliseconds. On special teams, things are measured in one hundredths of a second. And so by that I mean... Uh, Bones Fossil had talked a couple weeks ago about improving the operation. That would be Jake McQuaid snapping the ball, Brian Anger holding the ball, and Brett Maher, his foot striking the ball for a kick, for a field goal, or PAT. They had improved from 1.38 seconds to 1.30. So you're talking about eight one-hundredths of a second. Here's why that's key. If you do it in 1.30 as opposed to 1.38, you don't have to block the semi Fahokos of the world or the C.J. Goodwins because in 1.3, they physically cannot get there to lay out to, to block the ball. And so they're, they're telling me this. I interviewed Brian and Jake and Brett Maher after talking to Bones because I th- thought this is going to be a great, great story for the game day program for Washington. So that's what you're going to read when you come to the Washington game if you buy the game day program. But I talked to, talked to C.J. Goodwin and I said, here's what they told me. instead of 1.38. He says, exactly right. If it's 1.38, I can get to it. If it's 1.30, I can't. And 1.30, by the way, is also the same timeline for a punt. So that would be the time that from Jake McQuaid, him snapping the ball, to Brian Anger, our punter, catching the snap, dropping the ball, and his foot striking it for a punt. So one point three seconds I mean in the time it takes to to blink an eye basically I love that's why I love having you on the show because of some of those great stories you get in terms of prep for the game but it's funny you bring that up because I saw Brett Maher in the the locker room and I was going to bring this up later but he talked about because I called New Orleans I said what did you guys do with 
Brett Maher. It was like the school for wayward kickers. He came back, and he's a totally different guy. Mm. And they said they simply gave him an opportunity and believed in him. And when I talked to him in the locker about it, he made a point to bring up McQuaid and Anger, putting him in a position to succeed. And say what you want about Fossil uh, the first couple of years. I know a lot of people were, were down on him. He's too aggressive. He's too wild. He has done a dynamic job with the special teams. And the special teams, if you look at at least in the last two seasons, have put these – I mean, I think about the watermelon kick, right? <laughs> he put the Cowboys in positions to win. And I feel like in the past, that wasn't always – and that's not a knock on Rich Passaccia. Huge fan of Rick, Rich. But I do feel like there's an edge to this group, no different than the edge we see from Dan Quinn's group. Mm-hmm. Is that out of line thinking, Christy? No, I, I – uh, I'm a big fan of Rich Passaccia as well, and we've had some real uh, key players. You know, like when Cedric Wilson left in free agency and wasn't re-signed, I'm thinking, oh, man, you know. I mean, not only did he step a, as a receiver last year, but these key special teams guys, when yeah. they're gone, you don't know what you have until you lose them. Uh, a guy like Noah Brown, who had a breakout game as a receiver yesterday and scored his first NFL touchdown, and he'll be our guest on the Cowboy Hour tonight, Monday okay. night. Plug but it. plug <laughs> it. But but you know he's been such a key guy on special teams, and they go unrecognized. And here's the thing: the talent in the NFL is so even, and when you have evenly matched teams. Special teams is generally going to be the deciding factor. The number one overall deciding factor in the NFL is the turnover ratio. Are you taking the ball away more than you're giving yeah. it away? That's Statistically, that's number one. But the way to flip the field, the way to get the edge when you have evenly matched teams, it, it's, definitely, it's definitely special teams. And so that's why I try and develop such a good relationship with coordinators and, and with the guys and had a fun conversation I can talk about later with Brian Anger a couple hours before the game. That was kind of fun. We were talking about something totally different. But, um, but, but yeah, and, and so it goes back to what we were talking about earlier with complimentary football yeah. and, and how important that was, especially at the end of the game. I think I, something that we had mentioned last week, too, was how important it was for not just the wide receiver group who was getting the core of the heat and the O-line on the offensive side of the ball that was getting all of that heat from the Bucks game. It was important for everybody to step up and really – claim control of field possession or field position and then time of possession, which we had talked about, which the Cowboys didn't have the time of possession that we were hoping. They didn't really take control of it. But at the end of the day, that's why you play that kind of football. So that way you have the other parts of the team that are stepping up. The mm-hmm. defense, they all stepped up. Special teams stepped up. Your wide receiver core stepped up. Your O-line stepped up. I mean, really everybody played as they needed to. Was it a perfect game? No. Of course we, we can go into that. But at the end of the day, what we saw, I think, was a more cohesive of team with the chemistry I think that was lacking the week before and everybody was on the same scheme it seemed like everybody knew what was going on and they were ready and it just really showed all right well let's go ahead and take a quick break I love that you brought up some of these unsung heroes and Noah Brown guys that have been on special teams and now sort of getting the recognition that they deserve I did a locker room interview with him and I I love some of his comments and we'll also give you some injury updates by way of Stephen Jones and Mike McCarthy some encouraging news as it relates to that wide receiver room when we come back. Girls Talk, Boys Talk, brought to you by Jigsaw Dating, the official dating partner, Christy, of the Dallas Cowboys. <laughs> At Jigsaw Dating, we obviously want the Cowboys to bring that sixth ring home. But to be honest, we're more focused on finding the person who will put a ring on your finger. That's why we created a dating app that reveals your face through meaningful conversation so you can date deeper. Because it's personality that matters the most, not looks. 
Join Jigsaw Dating today, dating partner of the Dallas Cowboys. Dear past, present, and future football watchers, you know why we're here. The football season is back! Woo! And since that's too amazing to miss a single second's worth, Pepsi is officially giving you permission to always put football first. Like, maybe those in-laws are back in town. Well, better hope they're football fans because your Sunday is completely booked. Long story short, crack open a Pepsi and don't let anything get between you and your football watching. With love, Pepsi. Made for football watching. That's what I like. Star Sports Tours is the only official fan travel partner of the Dallas Cowboys, offering exclusive game weekend travel packages with pregame sideline access and photo ops with current players, cheerleaders, and cowboy legends. You want to stay at a team hotel? Attend the best tailgate party in Texas? Tour the star and talk X's and O's with me, Everson Walls? With Star Sports Tours, you can. Visit CowboysTravel.com to book your travel package today. I'm Dak Prescott, quarterback of the Dallas Cowboys. Blockchain.com is one of the most trusted ways to buy, sell, and trade crypto. Whether you're always on the go or stay closer to home, Blockchain.com is just a few taps away. Put the power of crypto in your pocket so no matter where you are, you can trade on your terms and build a crypto portfolio to fit your life. For crypto pros, rookies, and anyone in between, Blockchain.com makes it easy to own a piece of the future. Blockchain.com, trusted by millions, trusted by America's team. Girls Talk, Boys Talk back, and we are brought to you by Jigsaw Dating, the official dating partner of the Dallas Cowboys. But first... Well, join former NFL players on our first game day minicamp presented by Invisalign. Drop the kids off at Ford Center on October 2nd from 1130 to 330 while you watch the Dallas Cowboys and Washington Commanders game from your favorite restaurant in the Star District. To register your footballer for camp, visit DallasCowboys.com slash academy. Sounds fun. I love Kane Rosso if you come up here. So good. <laughs> uh, all right. So Noah Brown was a guy that I thought could have a big game. And the reason why I said that was because of the time that him and Cooper Rush have spent with the twos. So we want to give Brown a little bit of love today. I caught up with him in the locker room post game. Here he is talking about his journey. Five targets, 91 yards. How did this game feel? Oh, it felt good. You know, I've been here a long time. It's been six years, and it felt good to finally come out here and make a real impact. So I'm excited about it. We often see you pop in the preseason, right? Yeah. But not often during the regular season. Why do you think that is? Um, really, I don't, I'm, I'm not sure. To be honest, I, I think I've, I've been doing my part for a long time, just working hard and getting ready for my opportunity. My opportunity came tonight and executed. How much do you think it helped the work that you and Dalton Schultz have gotten in with the second team a lot? Uh, I think it's helped a ton. I, I think we all got good confidence and, and, and chemistry in Cooper Rush. So, you know, when he came in, it was just next man up, let's get it rolling. Did you guys pay attention? I know you guys say, I don't pay attention to the outside noise. But did you guys a little bit this week? No. Um, honestly, we, we know it's always there. Good or bad is going to be there. Somebody has something to say about this game today. But we got to win, and we're focused on the next week. So. How much does it help the team to win the way that you did today? And that final drive. Oh, man, it's, it's huge. It's huge. The show that we can pull through at the last minute, you know, and just stay focused and everybody can focus on their job. It's a big testament to us. Here comes the reporters. <laughs> J- Jane held him just long enough in I'm front like, of his locker. And, and what's funny is uh, in, at AT&T Stadium, Noah's locker is right next to Dak's. Yeah. Mm. And so Dak, now, when it's a game Dak plays, 
he doesn't host the media in front of his locker. He is taken to the podium where yeah. head coach does it. But anyway, yesterday Dak's there and he sees everybody coming and he knows they're coming for Noah, but he just cleared out really quickly because it's like everyone wanted to talk to Noah. Go away, Dak. You're kind of in the way. <laughs> move, move, move away, sir. Well, and as they should, Christy, I mean, we, we opened up the game. There was a commitment to the run. And then after that, they decided to go for it on fourth and two. It was Brown for the 17 yards. And then it was rushed to Brown for nine yards. And he got his first career touchdown. It was right on a simple bootleg. But then we see him again on the Cowboys' second drive when he had the the big third and 10 at Dallas 25 for the 28 yards, which then set up the, the Pollard touchdown. Huge game for him. But the question I had for you specifically, Aisha, it seemed like he cooled down a little bit in the second half. Did they start moving coverage over to the other side so, no, I, I didn't really see any difference in how they were rolling coverage. Really, honestly, it was more so what I felt like the Cowboys were doing offensively. I personally felt like they started trying to go more east to west and they should have kept, you know, driving down the field, you know, with the vertical threats. Um, and then also, too, you had the you had uh, Ezekiel Elliott, you know, get tackled for a loss and then you had to come back and try to get positive yardage. They just got behind the chains. I felt like they were moving the ball uh, well in certain places in the third quarter. They just, you know, they had those little mistakes and then obviously the Dalton Schultz fumble. They just had a lot of things not tumble their way, but I didn't really see a lot of difference. I went and looked. Um, I didn't really see a lot of difference in how they were rolling coverage to his side or not. It, it felt like it was pretty much the same um, cover one, cover two type stuff. So, yeah. I love having Aisha on the show because she is such a film hawk. <laughs> I'm and I, learning, I was texting learning. her this morning as I'm trying to keep up with news and information. When I have these questions, I'll literally reach out to her and say, real quick, can you ch <laughs> check the tape? I don't have time. I've got to jump on NFL Network. Were they rolling coverage to his side? What was Noah Brown's reaction after that career touchdown? And, and how did the team embrace him? Because even Mike McCarthy talked today. This was a guy when he got here was coming off a major injury, but seeing this locker room be as supportive of Noah as yeah. they were. It, well, that's the, the beauty of this team, and it shows what a great teammate and enthusiastic guy Zeke Elliott is. So mm -hmm. what happens is most guys, when they score a touchdown, or at least their first touchdown, they obviously are going to keep the football, right? <laughs> but when Noah catches the ball in celebration, he throws it down to, to spin, spin it, it right? Yeah. He spun yeah. it. He spun it. That's so cool, right? And you run off. Well, Zeke runs all the way, and it's Chris Beam from Dallas Cowboys uh, uh, Broadcasting who, Shout out, who, Chris. who got this. Shout out, Chris. who saw us like, hey, Zeke went and got the ball for oh, him. Oh, that's so, awesome. So what happened is, so Zeke grabbed the ball, brought it over to the Cowboys sideline, and then Dylan it, with the uh, Cowboys equipment staff, what they do is they, they take the ball, and then they'll, uh, Dylan goes over to the equipment trunk. But before they put the football in the equipment trunk, right behind the Cowboys bench, uh, he has a, a Sharpie marker, and so he'll write down, Aww. you know, just like a little initials, because hopefully you have more than one football in the trunk yeah, after yeah. the game. Hope, hopefully you've got a few guys, you know, wanting souvenirs to take home. Trayvon Diggs getting an interception or, or something like that, uh, wanting to take the ball home. So, yeah, so it was actually Zeke who retrieved the ball for oh. Noah. So I, I love that, and Zeke has actually done that several times over the years. And this is why guys. I love having you on the show, yeah, particularly on yeah. Mondays, and that's why I was, I was saying – not only am I so excited that you want to do this with us, but I just think that there's so many things that while we're up in the press box or you're at the game or anyone's watching from home, we don't get that 360 view. Yeah. And having mm -hmm. done sidelines myself, I don't know how you keep your eyes because it is so hard to see 
everything on the field. But I love that you've done this so long and you're so familiar with the team that you can give us so many good nuggets. You kind of see it oh, out yeah. of the corner of your eye sometimes, right. you know? And it's interesting to come back together and then see the different perspectives from your mm-hmm. bird's eye view from the press box and then your sideline view from the sidelines, you watching it on TV, me being like, I, I mean, I was in a lower level, but well, given I'm well, on you're, the But side. you're right there because I see where you sit. Every, I mean, right, <laughs> yeah, where, right where he scored was right in front of yeah, you. Yeah. What, was the, what was the fan reaction? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Eruption. Like, it was it was so well-deserved. And, and, and I think it was something that he he knew was coming. And, and just to hear the fans so excited for him, he, he deserved that moment. But, you know, not only did the fans embrace him during this game, um, you know, there was a couple guys behind me saying, oh, I need to go buy a Noah Brown jersey. You oh, know? that's like, cool. It was, it was amazing amazing to to hear that but you know listening to the interviews after the game I loved what CD said about Noah Brown and so I found a little quote on here and he said as consistent as he is and the ability to go up and make plays it didn't surprise me one bit it's an ability for him to showcase himself I'm happy for him I can't stop smiling I can't stop congratulating him and so to see that kind of cohesiveness and and uh, just chemistry within your wide receiver group I think is so important and I'm, I'm happy for him. What did the like coverage look like for CeeDee Lamb this game? Um, So I haven't gotten to look at the All-22 yet because I haven't gotten it yet. I've only looked at the game cast view. Um, they did shade him a couple times in the beginning of the game, but honestly where the Cowboys, I felt like, got their really good spots were like, well, they only ran play action a couple times. They, only went, they were successful when they ran play action, successful in that big play late in the game. I felt like, mm, I felt like Noah Brown – I felt like Noah Brown did make it to where people had that you could see that they were paying attention to what he was doing. I but they did shade him a couple times from what I saw. I haven't gotten to take a deep dive into it, so don't 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 quote me here. <laughs> what did Cheeto look like on the tape? Because remember yeah. we talked last week yeah. that it was Simi Fioco who told me that <laughs> Michael Gallup, even though he wasn't playing, was giving them a lot of great insight onto how to shake some of the tendencies of Cheeto. What was standing out to you when you looked at the tape there? Honestly, it wasn't about Cheeto. Uh, the, the Cowboys had a, an effort, and like you could tell, we talked about it. Go at Eli Apple. Who is the yeah. weak point on that on that in that secondary? Because I personally thought that they have pretty good um, safeties. You know, with Joey Joey Bates, Jesse Bates, Jesse Bates, yeah. rather. So and I was just Von like, Hill. okay, yeah, absolutely. So I was just like, okay, they're not gonna just go at them. But I do think that um, I'm sorry, I lost my train of thought. Cheeto was in and yes, going, yes, yes, going yes, after yes. Eli. Yeah, Apple. yeah, they were yeah. definitely going after Eli Apple this game, and you could see that there was an effort to do that early, getting him on Noah Brown and stuff. Chidobe Wuzier wasn't really, to me, a, a huge factor in this game because they were throwing, kind of trying to stay away from him. I think in a similar way that they did Trayvon Diggs this game. This game, uh, Chidobe Wuzier has definitely stepped in his game as a corner, and I think that you did see some respect there from Cooper Rush to throw to his side, and that's normal. Yeah, that's and he only had two more tackles than Eli Apple. It was a very quiet so game; like they weren't he, even. Yeah, he, he almost wasn't a factor, if if you want to be honest. And but you could look at Trey Hendrickson and say the same thing: the guys that we were expecting to step up in mm-hmm. this game and to be huge factors, they really didn't get a chance to. And I think that's partially because like. They were playing from behind. Yeah, well, the the line the line had a really good game. Coach McCarthy was yes, talking about the offensive that, line that today. Tyler Smith, that. man, the block that Zach Martin had on the yeah. one yard touchdown run by Tony Pollock, Terrence just Steele literally laying on the guy. Yeah. Terrence Steele rebounding after having four uh, penalties yes, in, in week one. But but him. the thing is. Um, they were able the Cowboys offense was able to stick to the plan of committing to mm. the run again it wasn't sexy and it wasn't right. you know <laughs> but, but they still but they, but still they, they were effective enough yeah. particularly in the first half right that 
they had that the Bengals defense had to respect it, mm. right? And so when you have to commit to stopping the run, that's when things open up in the passing game. So generally, and even generally. then, it just yeah. looked like Cooper Rush had more time in the pocket. It, it, it the O line was not perfect by any means. There's still always room for improvement, and and we'll call that out as we see it, right? But Cooper Rush had more time in the pocket, and really, what you could see, at least from my point of view, is I could see him throwing in front of receivers, and, and I think that was so key. And and I know we're talking about the run game, but I, I think Cooper Rush, going back to the time that the O line was giving him, it was giving him the time to throw in front of the receivers. And I, I think something so interesting about Cooper Rush is his demeanor. And and even in the post game conference, somebody asked, "Are you even happy? Are, are you are you <laughs> he excited?" Was just like, yeah. and he's like, "Well, yeah." So I, I think this this poker face that he has is such a veteran poker face, and and it's impressive to me. I mean, I I fully expected him to show a little bit more excitement during these key plays, and he's just like. Hey guys, no, cool. I, nice, I don't. You know. I don't know that his blood pressure ever goes no. above one ten. Really? It yeah. was. It was he, a he, he is, like that. He is steady, Eddie. Just steady, his, Eddie, and, that, and that's what that's what's great. And the other thing it's about composure. you know, there's one there's one thing about hitting the re- receivers, right? Completing a pass, but there's also. Uh, in regard to completing the pass, making it where they can catch and run with it, hitting mm. them in the right spot where yeah. they're not having to reach back for it, yeah. hitting them in stride. Because guys like C.D. Lamb, C.D.'s strength is run after catch. Yeah, Noah, too, you know, these guys. And so in in week one, even some of the completions, the guys are, like, reaching back. and think Now, again, there was much more duress. The Dak was under much more duress than I think right. Cooper was yesterday. But there's something to – the placement of the the pass where that um, you can have an effective uh, run after catch. And I'm I, just and thinking out loud here because I almost feel like it's all just gravy for Cooper in the sense that, you know, Dak is coming off all those injuries. And I think there was a lot of question marks about the left side when Tyron Smith went down. You have Tyler Smith. So I think there, yeah. and then he's coming off of cleat gate, you know, that the, there was something so weird going oh, on with that right gate. foot, right? And even pregame, I saw him like really, this is, I'm talking week one, really kind of feeling out that cleat. It was, it was interesting to me. And so I just wonder if when, because Simi had said something to me in the locker room too, like we've got to run the right routes. So I felt like the wide receivers doing a better job of knowing where they needed to be this week. But I also felt there was a little bit more confidence in that offensive line after week one, but Cooper Rush, he's not. He's not coming from a place of, I'm the franchise guy. People are saying I'm injury prone. I have to worry about certain injuries. And it almost made him a little bit more fearless and decisive out there. Mm-hmm. Is that I, a stretch? What do you guys think? Like the outside pressures kind of right. coming in. I work. mean, I felt like he, I, I do feel like he did play very free. Like I, it, it felt like he was playing with guys he gets a lot of reps with yeah. when like it's it's and we talk about it but then we were all like we got to see it and you could truly see that there is real timing there with those guys like some of those balls you were throwing he was throwing he was just putting it out there and wanting his trust. guy to make the play and they had a preseason together tracking that. absolutely tracking yeah, he, that. he played yep. in the preseason yep. and Dak didn't not have any Dak preseason and this, snaps and this stuff matters and like and I think you'll see this across the NFL though you know that offenses are gonna take a little bit more time to ease sure. into it and, and get in the rhythm, the defenses are typically ahead. Mm-hmm. Dallas defense definitely is ahead. True, but true. Um, shout out to no, Dan I, Quinn. I, I definitely you you have to also too. We didn't talk about. I don't want to pronounce his name wrong because I know you don't play by names. Matt 
Farniak. Farniak. It's actually uh, Farniak. Farniak. It's, it's, it's with an O, F A R N I O K, but it's pronounced Farniak. That's literally why I wanted to. Yeah. Check. Well, Matt Farniak, um, stepping in at that left guard position, granted, like, uh, he has he had some some trouble um, a couple times getting pushed into the quarterback, but just for him to step in and play left guard like this quickly and to start getting the reps, there was some miscommunication there with him and Tyler to be expected. But this offensive line, I listen. People had a lot to say about the offensive line coming into the and season, <laughs> coming into the season, talking about Tyler Smith. How many times were you worried about Tyler Smith in this not game? Once. Not and not how many well. times did you look up and say, huh? What he got going on over there? You didn't find yourself doing that. When you're not talking about them, mm. that's a good thing. Now, I yeah. am curious. I did want to bring up, because I know people do care about injury updates. Uh, one of those injury updates was not so much an injury, but more of a ramp up. Tracking. Jason Peters. How do you see them utilizing Jason Peters? Because I feel like there's a potential that he could play on Monday night. What's your feeling? I don't know if he would be ready. Um, if... My thought was if Jason Peters was playing in week two and mm -hmm. yesterday, yeah. that would be a very bad sign because things had gone mm. yeah. very badly with Tyler Smith or with Farniak or, or Terrence Steele. So the fact that they do not feel that they have to rush him onto the field, that's the most important thing. Right. And um, it's it's my understanding that he's still working. You know, I, I don't think he's really taken part in the – team parts of, of, of practice and the offensive line versus defensive line, mm -hmm. that it's, it's more still conditioning and, and working up to that. So um, if he were to, uh, it could be as early as this Wednesday where he starts taking part mm -hmm. in that in practices. But um, yeah, it's interesting. It's my understanding that it, it would be left side that they're not necessarily looking at putting him on the, the right, right side. There's some speculation about that. We know him, his Pro Bowl years as a left tackle, mainly mm -hmm. for the, the Eagles. And of course, he played last year for uh, the Bears. But it's my understanding that they would look at keeping him on the left side. Would you kick him over? Would you kick Tyler over to left guard and then put Peters at left tackle? Interesting. I don't know. It really, I think it really depends on how, how Farniak continues to do. The other thing is they're hopeful that Connor McGovern will be back right. sooner rather than later. And Mike McCarthy mentioned in his Monday afternoon press conference earlier uh, this afternoon that they're hopeful that uh, McGovern can get on the practice field this week. He missed week two with an ankle injury. Something that's interesting, too, about Jason Peters and the the – the O-line was doing their pregame warm-ups right in front of the section where I was sitting, so I was honed in on that. And, you know, you always hear about the mentoring that he does for the younger guys. Just watching him do that on the side with uh, Tyler Smith was interesting. And the things he was telling them, I was trying to zoom in <laughs> with my phone to read his lips and see what he was saying. And just the way he would physically set himself up to set up Tyler Smith for these scenarios, he would watch him and then he'd pull him to the side and tell him, hey, do this try this it I think it's not a bad thing if he doesn't play sooner rather than later because they have that mentorship for him and Tyler Smith has said many times that he's been key for the success so far and and so I think it's 
it, it was interesting for me to see it from that perspective of how he's mentoring him. And right. and um, it, it was really impactful, I think. Yeah, and the, the other thing is Jason Peters does remain on the practice squad. Yeah. And you only have two elevations per yep. game. Right. And so if you were to use one of the elevations on him, then when you get the other one, and then out. if you put him on the 53-man roster, yeah. you know, those roster things kind of have a way of working themselves out with injuries and the like. But sure. um, well, I that's why I'm just, I'm just curious. It's... If Tyler Smith is doing such a good job at left tackle, do you disrupt him? And how does Jason Peters feel about moving? Because, you know, we've talked, Zach Martin doesn't like the idea of moving from your natural position when you're a veteran who's played it X amount of years. I'm just, I'm curious what they're going to do with Jason Peters. I, I, I think they say Terrence Steele is their long-term right tackle. Yeah. Yeah. I, and, and with Jason Peters, I honestly, like, he with Tyler playing this well, and depending on, like you said, what you get from Matt Farniak, I... He or McGovern, just, or McGovern, or McGovern, or McGovern, mm-hmm. rather, mm-hmm. I, he might just be some dope insurance. Absolutely, yeah. some yeah. real dope insurance when you're trying to make yeah. A, yeah. a late playoff push or something, and you see other teams have offensive linemen falling like flies because yeah. they don't grow on trees. Absolutely, yeah. and like Jess said, he's already contributing by yep. helping Tyler and the other young guys. I think that stuff in the locker room goes a really long way, and you see that with the improvements, and especially all of the scrutiny that Tyler Smith was getting mm. week one, mm. and then coming out to have the games he's had, where you're not keeping an eye on him and you're not worried about him. I think that says a lot. Uh, some quick other injury updates. Dalton Schultz tied in for the Cowboys, something we're keeping our eye on. Uh, he had the knee injury. I know he went back. And I, we were watching him on the sidelines. I had my binoculars out. And it was uh, Tyler Biotis who called over for the staff at one point. I don't know if you saw that during the game like, to yeah. check him out. He shook him off. Yeah. And then he, he came off in. over there on the sidelines. So it sounds like it's a leg situation. Um, they're looking at it. They said they need to see the x-rays. That's right knee. Yeah. And uh, – when he came out of the game, uh, the next series, he went back out there for the start of the series, uh, but then wasn't able to finish the game. He was not yeah. out there for the final drive. And, then, and his injury occurred uh, at the, uh, hang on, uh, <laughs> 224 mark um, yeah. of the fourth quarter, and it, it's uh, right knee. And so uh, there, there is some reporting out there that says PCL, that's the posterior cruciate ligament. Which and is if, what if that sound, through. Yeah, if, if you've heard mm. that before, that's uh, what Zeke played through last year. And then good news on Micah Parsons. Sounds like he had a leg situation too, but they don't feel as worried about that one. So those are your quick injury updates. Uh, when we get back, let's talk about the run game. We've got only – Got three minutes left in the show, basically. <laughs> uh, so we'll quickly get through that, and obviously we'll be honing in on that throughout the week because that commitment to the run, I think, is what allowed this offense to be as effective as they were. Uh, this is Girls Talk, Boys Talk, brought to you by Jigsaw Dating, the official dating app of the Dallas Cowboys. Little Sweet! Did you get to work on time? Yeah, but I just realized it's Sunday. Little Sweet says head on home. Dr. Pepper's on its way. So sweet, unique. Baby, there's nothing better. I bet you've probably done something that deserves a Dr. Pepper. Did you invest your nest egg in an NFT? Yeah, and I don't even know what that is. It's a non-fungible token. Everyone's done something that deserves a Dr. Pepper. Todd thought it would be secure to jog in the cheetah's savannah. Todd believed the big cat repellent he bought online was reliable. And now Todd is trying to be faster than this cheetah that can run 80 miles per hour. But the good news is Todd has AT&T 5G that is fast, reliable, and secure. And he learned the best thing to do is stop running and toss her the backpack with the beef stew. AT&T 5G. Fast, reliable, secure. It's not complicated. 
5G requires compatible plan and device. 5G may not be available in your area. See att.com slash 5G for you for details. Brace yourself for an existential question. Has your butt been having enough fun lately? Have you been treating it well? Has it been going places? If not, then it's about time you start using SeatGeek. SeatGeek is the best way to get your butt tickets to live events. Just ask the thousands of other butts who have rated it the number one ticketing app. So what are you waiting for? Download the app now or visit SeatGeek.com to get tickets to sports, concerts, and live events and make your butt happy. SeatGeek, get your seat in a seat. What do you call a group of grown men and women with their faces painted silver and blue who get together every week to share a three-hour-long ritual of jumping, sinking, and toasting Miller Lite and 10-gallon hats while yelling, how about them cowboys? You call it Miller Time in Dallas. Here's to the Cowboys. Here's to the original light beer. It's Miller time. Celebrate responsibly. 2021 Miller Brewing Company, Fort Worth, Texas. Welcome back to Girls Talk, Boys Talk, brought to you by Jigsaw Dating, the official dating partner of the Dallas Cowboys. But first, Jess. Are you a Cowboys fan who spices up the game? Well, nominate yourself or a friend to be the Cowboys fan of the year, presented by Captain Morgan, and win a trip to Super Bowl 57 in Arizona. Nominate yourself or a friend at DallasCowboys.com slash fan of the year. All right. I love when we're coming back uh, from a victory Monday, guys, and there's so much on the buffet that we don't get to eat everything, right? There's going to be there's we're going to have some leftovers this week and there's plenty of, to talk about. I certainly want to get into the run game this week and sort of the vision for it and how that game mirrored some of the vision and the commitment that they like. But Aisha was incredulous as we're going to break and she says we haven't even talked about Micah Parsons. <laughs> so, girl go off. I'm sorry. No, I just I don't know, man, like I'm, I've been a Cowboys fan for the majority of my life. Like, I got to see D-Ware, but I was so young that I didn't understand what he was doing. Like, I didn't understand how dominant he was. And getting the opportunity to see Micah Parsons literally wreck games. I mean, you talk about Jerry mentions with the, the war daddy thing. Like, no, you, you got that for real now. Like, that he can go in and really change, completely change the game. And credit to Dan Quinn for taking advantage of those matchups. Mm-hmm. Moving him across and saying, oh, this guy can't touch him. And just continuing to go at it. Like, I feel like Micah Parsons has elevated this this defense's speed, their attitude, the way they all—I mean, and granted, there's amazing guys on this on this defense, but this guy—if you don't plan for him every week, like he—he he really seriously could change the whole game. And I just—I don't know—I was just so impressed with him. I wanted to bring him up and mention how crazy it is to be experiencing so, like a player like this. I haven't—I don't feel like I've gotten the luxury to see such a dominant defensive player in my lifetime and just see him keep growing. And it's funny that you mention uh, Demarcus Lawrence, Demarcus Ware. We're, we're talking about all these amazing, amazing players, right? Well, the Dallas Cowboys PR actually tweeted out during the game that Micah Parsons became the fourth Cowboys defender to start a season with multiple sacks in each of the first two games, along with Demarcus Lawrence, Demarcus Ware, and Charles Haley. So I think what stands out for me, guys, is typically you don't see a lot of players grow on their success of a standout rookie campaign. It is so hard to mirror or repeat your success. And you talk about teams have to plan for them. We've seen every team they've played so far this year talk about Micah, and they still don't have answers for him. They max max protected, too. That's fascinating to me. And then to your point, to see Dorrance Armstrong have a two-sack game. Guy, he is a lot—I think— 
you know, typically you see a guy like that come around your building or in any workplace. And if someone is gung-ho, wants to do more, constantly raising their hand, it can wear on you because you feel like you're not good enough mm. and you start to resent them. He elevates the game of people. He energizes the game of people around him. And I think that's what's so interesting yeah. about Micah Parsons. Christy. He allows other people to get their opportunities, I think, is really what it is. But yeah, yeah Christy, no, I, love to hear I agree. It. He's he's exceptional. And when you talk about the planning and Jane says they know, hey, they know what's coming and they can't stop them. Yeah. Okay. And the other thing is um, yesterday we got to to see more of Dante Fowler and Sam Williams. Mm -hmm. And so along with Dorrance Armstrong and D-Law, the fact that that Dan Quinn can send these pass rushers in waves, right? And and with Osa and and Quentin Bohannon, Bohanna and and Neville Gallimore in the middle – uh, it, it's so it's so exciting, but uh, I I really like the athleticism of of Williams. He's the second round rookie this year, but but Micah, they know they know what's coming and they can't do anything about it. I thought to me too, as much as we talk about the importance of that first drive for the Dallas Cowboys, it was that 19 play drive by Oof. the Bengals uh, in the fourth quarter. They went 83 yards. That was 8:54 is mm-hmm. how much they ate up the clock yeah. to tie the game. I thought the defense was incredibly resilient to have withheld yeah. uh, that to have stood as long as they did because that game could have gotten out of control really quick and that was mm. a moment when you said, "Here we go, Cowboys going to Cowboys, right?" Uh, but I think that's why, as much as I said last week, I'm, I'm not a fan of moral victories, and and I was down on this team. It was the way you know the, the mantra in the locker room is resilient. And they showed just how resilient they truly were this week. Final thoughts, yeah. ladies. Oh, no, I I totally agree. But I, I definitely also feel like on the defensive side of the ball, the depth showed. Like mm-hmm. you were talking Absolutely. about, like, we've seen them draft. Last year, they drafted D-line, D-line heavy. Like, you see that, that come into fruition. Bo Hanna had a... I, at first glance had a really good game as well um I I don't know I'm just impressed with the defense I'm impressed with them putting it together they seem to have such a I don't they 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 play for each other because you could even see like where one guy slips there's always one guy right there ready to make the tackle to rally to the ball and I just don't want to understate what they're doing on defense like this is something special that they've put together and I'm excited that we get to witness and be a part of it also to hold Joe Burrow, well, to 17 points after he had a 199-yard game says a lot about the Success. defense. They averaged three yards Success. a carry. They yeah. averaged three yards a carry. I mean, you asked for better run defense, they came out there and did it. Yeah, the, it, it, the, it, And Mixon's no joke. Like, P. Ryan's nothing to sleep at either. So I just, I don't know, this defense... They're this special. Defense, this yeah. defense makes me excited, y'all. Exactly. The Bengals feast on the big play, and they didn't they allow didn't the big even plays yesterday. Mm-hmm. That's right. Ladies, I've truly enjoyed the show. I could tell that the energy was different in the room as it should be after a big win. Um, And as much as that thing could have come down to missing the kick, I still think (laughs) that I would feel as though I liked the direction that the Cowboys were moving in. Up next, of course, is Monday Night Football against the Giants, but we will still be dissecting this game in all the way up till Wednesday, and then we'll start moving you forward as we scout the opponent. Christine, my hope is to start getting you in here a little bit more. I'm sure, sure the hey, fans let me know. appreciated your insight, uh, obviously your your knowledge, knowledge of this team. <laughs> yes. But I just love Incredible. being able to, to have someone down there that is seeing and hearing the things that we don't get to from our vantage point. So well, thank you. Well, for thanks for letting off. me jump on. And it's always fun on a Victory Monday, that's for sure. Oh, definitely. Thanks for tuning in, guys. Again. We'll see you on Tuesday. 
Yeehaw. This has been a production of DallasCowboys.com and the Dallas Cowboys Football Club. How about this, Cowboys?